On this edition of Larry the Golf Guy, we welcome to the podcast Dr. Allison Kurt, who is one of the more notable teachers in Southern California. She is a dual PGA and LPGA master professional, a member of the SCPGA Teaching Hall of Fame, a former LPGA National Teacher of the Year Award winner, among many other honors. Uh, we talk with her about her career as a teacher, her approach to students, her own playing career, as well as some thoughts on today's LPGA. So up next on this edition of Larry the Golf Guy, Allison Kurt. Well, welcome to another edition of Larry the Golf Guy. And I'm so pleased today to have joining us uh, Dr. Allison Kurt, who is uh, quite a notable teacher here in Southern California, um, PGA and LPGA master professional. She's in the Teaching Hall of Fame for the SCPGA, National Teacher of the Year for the LPGA a few years ago. Lots of awards. Um, Allison, thank you so much for making time to chat with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for asking me to be on the show. So maybe just to get rolling, um, maybe just could you tell us kind of where you grew up and, and how and when you first got introduced to this great game? Sure. I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, and, and was introduced to the game when I was seven years of age. My father introduced it to me. And at the time, most organized sports for children didn't start until age of eight. So I had a brother who was two years older than me, and I was a bit jealous that he had the opportunity to engage in different types of sports. So I definitely wanted to get started in some stuff. And I just sort of was counting down the birthdays until I could get involved and my family became a member at a local club in St. Louis. And so my dad would take me out onto the golf course. And when we get to a couple of back holes and there was nobody watching, a, a good opportunity for me to hit some shots. And I remember really only having one club that was cut down to my size and just hitting that continuously when we got out there. So not only was it special to be out there with my dad, feeling like we were kind of breaking the rules before I had turned age eight, but it was also special to get involved in sports at such an early age. And so really took on to playing the game and getting involved in junior golf when when I did turn eight years old and playing some competitions and really taking it from there. Awesome. And I can totally appreciate that. That's very similar to how I got started in the game. I was nine and I had a cut down club. And my dad used to take me out and very similar experiences. And I know I know how special that was. So um Maybe talk a little bit about what your competitive life was like as a junior. I assume you, you did you play in, in school and uh, did you compete regionally, locally, what have you uh, in, in junior golf? And what was that like? I started in junior golf at the club. So we would have junior golf days, which was Friday, and they would always kick it off with uh, an instructional clinic. And then we had three, six, nine and 18 hole groups. And so they started me out at my age in the three-holer division, and I tested out after my first day of junior golf. So I instantly got wow. into the six-hole division and was really excited about that. So that was a big confidence boost. And of course, they had club championships and different local tournaments. I didn't really start competing outside of the club until I'd say around nine or 10 years of age. And I was involved in a lot of different sports at the time. 
And one of the administrators in a basketball camp also ran the local city golf tournaments. And so she really encouraged me to sign up to start competing in those city golf tournaments. So I got involved in the local Gateway PGA events and then really expanded as I got into middle school into some more important tournaments, some bigger uh, Missouri amateur state tournaments, junior amateur state tournaments. And then of course that led to high school. And I went to Marquette High School and we didn't have a super competitive team, but we had enough girls to compete and I was able to qualify for the state championship four years in a row. Uh, My best finish my junior and senior year was second place. So almost got that win and really took the competition in high school into a more national level. So at the time, AJGA wasn't a big big to do, but there were some other national leagues, some national PGA tournaments that juniors could qualify for. And Mm -hmm. so that's the route that I took until I went to college. Awesome. And so you ended up going to Florida State. I know you were a two-time academic All-American there. Um, What was, what was that like? I mean, that's a pretty uh, competitive environment. What was, what was your collegiate uh, career like? The school was amazing for being an athlete. Florida State is just a complete jock school with the overwhelm of football and basketball and baseball. And golf was certainly a lot smaller. But for me, it was like playing in the big leagues. And the experience was fantastic. I had a full scholarship, so was able to earn two academic degrees by the time my four and a half years was up. And the competition was the best in the country. We were a top 25 school, D1, got to travel mainly through the Midwest and the West Coast and played the best girls that sometimes I still see them competing on tour these days. So it was an awesome experience. It was a great way to get my academic achievements accomplished. Uh, Definitely learned a lot. Uh, It was certainly hard, though. Didn't excel the way that I had thought I was going to excel but learned a lot to propel me into the career I have today. Absolutely. And, and uh, I mean, you've got a lot of educational credentials. You mentioned the two degrees, you know, psychology and um, professional golf management, and, and then subsequently master's and, and doctorate, which we'll get to. Um, did you think about trying to sort of do it as a player or were you pretty set that you wanted to go the teaching route? How did you sort of think through all that and and come to deciding to pursue the teaching route, which obviously you've been so tremendously successful at? I definitely wanted to try to play professionally. It took a tremendous amount of money that I didn't have financial support, someone to say, all right, let's go ahead and try to do a year on the Futures Tour and see where it takes you. Um, I was pretty much on my own as soon as college ended, responsible for my bills as much as possible. And to live a life on the tour was around at that time, 40 to $50,000. And I just Mm. didn't have the financial backing to ever try it. So it was sort of not in the cards for me just based on that. And I didn't really ever thought of myself becoming a PGA professional or an LPGA professional or getting into teaching. I really wanted to move into the FBI and continue to use my psychology degree to pursue some personal interests in that field. But because I had finished my psychology degree so early at Florida State, I had two years left of eligibility and nothing to study. So I'd already attained my degree. And my mom encouraged me to look at the program Professional Golf Management. 
which mm. had a lot of business classes, hospitality classes, things that I 100% was not interested in at all. And so I sort of by default fell into it because I needed something to study for the last two years. So by the time I finished my eligibility and graduated FSU, I was a PGA golf professional and wow. just thought, well, I guess I should just start working in this and secured a job out in California. And that's what got me moving out West and really just fell into it. And out of the different opportunities for working in the industry, merchandising, tournament ops, day-to-day ops and teaching, it seemed the most fun and the least work-like to help people learn the game. Yeah. And so uh, so I was curious, so was that your first time out to California when you came out? uh, I know you had a golf tech position and then you ended up spending a number of years at Sherwood. Uh, Was that kind of your first growing up in the Midwest and going to school in Florida? Was that your first time out here? It wasn't. So during my last two years, I had an internship opportunity and I randomly picked a golf course in uh, California called the Weston Mission Hills. And at the time, the PGA required an internship at a public facility, a resort facility, a private facility. And then you could do six months at your choice. And so I still needed that resort experience. And the Western Mission Hills um, was the opportunity for me. So I spent three months out there, my the summer of my junior year in college, and they offered me a position once I graduated. So about a year and a half later, I was back there working on my first job. And I stayed there until uh, the middle of 2006. And I um, ended up leaving because I had a, a pretty traumatic accident where the the house that I was living in burned down oh, and wow. I really was left with nothing except oh, for the, the clothes that I was wearing that particular day. So I didn't have anything to my name. And so my parents said, come back home and we'll see what the next steps in your life is like. So I spent a couple months back in St. Louis and then saw a job opportunity for golf tech, which led me back out to Los Angeles. So after the four months, four or five months stint back in St. Louis, uh, Golf Tech was that first opening for me to get back to Los Angeles. Got it. And then you were there for a little bit, and then you ended up getting a um, teaching position out at Sherwood, which is a you know obviously a wonderful course. And those were probably the days in which Tigers Tournament was out there and um, uh, a lot of notable events, wonderful uh, Nicholas facility. That must have been an interesting experience, I can imagine, for you. It definitely was. It started out fantastic. I was recruited by a wonderful director of golf named Ian Langford, and he really guided me so well in being a lead first assistant, sort of preparing my life for what a head golf professional might look like, and then also giving me free reign to teach as much as I wanted. So the teaching took up a lot of portion of my time. And so in the seven years there, about the first uh, five, five and a half years were wonderful. And the last two and a half years were not, not the best as I faced some sexual discrimination, gender discrimination. Oh, wow. And that eventually led me to, to make a decision that it's time to move on from this facility. And that was my opportunity to start my own teaching business And uh, that's when I created Allison Kirk Golf and finally worked my way to finding a great home at Wood Ranch Golf Club to run my teaching business. So and I I wanted to ask you about that. So it sounds like you you're at Wood Ranch, but you sort of have your independent business. So I'm I'm, 
be curious kind of how that worked. I mean, you're teaching, I assume, both members, but then non-members too as part of your business. Is that is that accurate? Yes, it is. So I am a, a corporation that we have a business-to-business agreement with from Wood Ranch. So I don't do any shop time at Wood Ranch, and I've been running the instructional programs and providing all the lessons for the past nine years. So it's been a really great relationship to focus 100% on providing great instruction to the members and to non-members who wish to visit the club. And it's a wonderful relationship because oftentimes a lot of non-members who come out and get to experience the club and experience taking great instruction end up becoming members at the club. So it's a wonderful facility for me to continue to grow and thrive and run my business and then also help golfers be the best version of themselves. Perfect. And along the way, I know I alluded to before you continued your work, uh, your educational work. Um, you got your master's at Pepperdine in clinical psychology and then subsequently a doctorate. Um, what made you pursue graduate study um, while you're pursuing this teaching career? Was it sort of, did you kind of see a um, combination of the two where you're sort of focusing on not only helping people physically with their swing, but the sort of more mental life performance aspects or or how did you kind of see all that coming together? Well, it was a little unresolved from, from my undergrad years because I always had a passion for wanting to get my master's in psychology since my undergrad was in it. And it just sort of came to a place as I was working with individuals wanting to understand why people behaved the way they did. There was some difficult members to work with. There was sometimes difficult co-workers. There was sometimes difficult situations. And I just felt mm-hmm. like I didn't quite have the skill set that helped answer the questions that I needed. And then when working with clients and helping them perform their best, there was only so much I could do from a physical sense. And knowing that humans are very complex, I felt like if I had an upper hand and really understanding human behavior and the things that could impact a golf swing and a golf performance, then that could make me not only a unique instructor, but certainly a little bit more deep in working with my students. So I was able to to get an opportunity to enroll in Pepperdine University and go to evening classes. So I would work and teach during the day. And then I would go to classes during the night. And as I continued to work through the curriculum, it led me into a path of becoming a licensed psychotherapist. So being able to help on a clinical basis, individuals with anxiety and depression and a plethora of other mental illnesses. And so it kind of just led me into being in this position where I could expand my teaching business to being more than just a physical teacher from the outside in, but being able to help students from the inside out. Mm. No, that makes, that makes perfect sense. And I mean, along the way, um, as if your plate wasn't full enough, I mean, you became dual qualified as a master professional. I don't, I mean, master professionals are rare. I don't know that there's that many who are both a PGA and an LPGA master professional. What's, I'm curious, what's involved just for our listeners in, in, in achieving that sort of high status, and in, in, particularly in both organizations? In the PGA, there's, I think, almost 400 master professionals out of 28,000. And there's uh, six different disciplines that you could potentially get that that certification in. And it's really just a higher level of of project and education and wisdom that is showcased to a panel to indicate that you are uh, one of the best of the best. And so my route was teaching and coaching. 
And so I went through the different levels and was able to successfully pass back in 2010. And so within the LPGA, that again is the highest level of membership and LPGA master professional. And that requirement is a little bit different than the PGA and it requires a very specific project to complete. And it, it coincided a little bit with the completion of my doctorate degree. And I was able mm-hmm. to use some of my research for my doctorate degree for my LPGA master uh, professional presentation. And so once I had secured that, uh, of course, the LPGA has uh, far fewer members. They only have 1,900 members, but the amount of master professionals is extremely small. And so I did become the first woman to become a dual LPGA and PGA within teaching and coaching specifically. So there is only there is only one of me, and there are two <laughs> dual masters overall. The other the other individual is in golf operations. So it's pretty special. Uh, it just means that I have gone above and beyond the certifications and educational requirements to to better myself so that I can bring my business to my my students in the best way possible. That's awesome. Um, let's sort of maybe turn to your teaching and, and just uh, maybe give folks a sense of kind of how you approach it. If I uh, showed up um, as a new student, um, how do you sort of approach uh, your teaching? I mean, is there a particular method? Do you sort of look at, you know, the needs of the student and kind of vary your approach? I mean, you've obviously been incredibly successful. Just curious kind of how you, if, if there's any kind of particular approach you use for teaching that you could share with our listeners? I would consider myself a student-centered teacher which means that I don't subscribe to one particular modality to help an individual. So there might be a teacher who's specifically, for example, stack and tilt, or there might be a teacher who is only uh, ground reaction force based or biomechanics. So when I say that I'm a student centered, based on an in-depth interview with each and every student, I figure out what's the best improvement strategy for them based on what their goals are. So each student that comes to me will have completely different goals. And I want to create the pathway for them to help them find their success. Plus, we all have different types of bodies. We have different limitations and injuries and experiences and traumas. And so taking those components into consideration, I can then ultimately help the student figure out how to meet those goals. I will say upon reflection, though, I end up being a bit more club face focused because Mm -hmm. the club face is the only part of the system that's hitting the golf ball. So if the face and path aren't matched up to where we want the ball to go, we've got some problems. With that being said, there are a million different ways to swing the golf club to get those components matched up to send a golf ball. So any student who comes to me can expect to be asked a lot of questions, can Mm -hmm. be expected to be heard, and also have a customized approach that meets their specific goals, not my goals. All makes sense. You mentioned, you know, of course, physical limitations. Do you work with anyone who sort of uh, focuses on on the physical aspect of, you know, a, a fitness instructor, a golf oriented, you know, TPI type fitness instructor, or or what what piece of the puzzle does that sort of play in your teaching? It's a big piece because we can't ignore the limitations of an individual's body. I myself have gone through the TPI certifications, 
Mm. So I have a, a baseline level of understanding the screens and what kind of limitations might cause what particular swing flaws. But it's not really of my utmost personal interest to develop a program to repair some of those limitations. So I partner with people that are much smarter than me in that area. And if there is an individual who does wish to pursue that path and really work on their physical uh, physique and their uh, composition and their mobility, then I do have some great recommendations that I like to send them to. But it's important that I think golf instructors do base level screenings so that we can understand if a student is moving a certain way, there's a reason why. Right. No, that, that makes sense. Um, you know, I wanted to, um, touch on your, your playing career a little bit. I know, you know, you talked about not, you know, initially going for the LPGA tour with expenses and, and so forth. Um, yet along the way, what I thought was impressive is that in addition to, you know, all the, obviously the teaching you do, the educational stuff you pursued and all of that, you've played in some significant LPGA tournaments, I think, including, if I'm remembering right, five KPMG Women's PGA Championships. I mean, I, I, you obviously must be keeping your game pretty sharp to be able to play it at that level as, as frequently as you as you have. Competition is a big part of my world. So when I'm not teaching, I'm full focused on competing. I probably play in over 20 events a year, at least one to two a month easy. And sometimes they're one dayers and sometimes they're multi-dayers. So competing is something that is in the forefront of my mind. Um, I've had the great privilege to be able to qualify for seven LPGA tour majors, and I hope many more in the future. And so I just really am so passionate about competing. It's something that has never really burnt out for me. Um, been the Southern California PGA Women's Player of the Year, I believe eight times in a row wow. in the past uh, wow. eight years. Yeah. And um, I hope lots more to come. So it's something that's very important to me. Awesome. Um, and uh, I mean, do you ever sort of get the itch to focus even more on competition versus teaching, or do you kind of like the balance you have? I like the balance I have. I mean, the, the big piece that really prevents anything from playing more is finances. I mean, you have right. to have a mortgage to pay. I got to work. So if somebody <laughs> comes along and says, Hey, I'm, I'm going to pay all your bills for the year. Let's see if you can go, go make a go out of this. I mean, I would take it in a heartbeat for sure. And what do you sort of just talking a little more about the, the LPGA, what do you, any sort of thoughts on the current state of the game? I mean, there seems like there's so many just super bright stars, um, you know, obviously Rose Zhang from our neck of the woods here in Southern California, um, the Corda sisters um, and, uh, and others. I mean, from where I sit, it seems like it's in a really good place, but um, you're, you have a much more, informed view than I'm going to have. I'm curious kind of how you see it. Well, I think the game itself is in a good state. I, I just don't think there's a lot of support for women's golf um, across the globe. It's not marketed in a way that's enticing. It's not showing the superstars and making them really connect with consumers. And, you know, when we look at the PGA tour, we, any Saturday or Sunday, you turn on a basic 
TV station, you're going to find golf during season. You've got to hunt to find an LPGA tournament. Yeah. And in fact, there was a major that was just on that unless you woke up at 1 a.m., you didn't catch any of it. Right. Or unless you purchased Peacock, you right. weren't going to see a single swing. So the LPGA is in a, it's in a tough spot. And I think that they need some considerable help in terms of marketing and product placement to get the tour to shine. It's fantastic to see that some of the purse sizes are increasing, but it's nowhere near the level of the PGA Tour. And I hope at some point it gets to a place of where women's tennis and men's tennis payouts are close to equal or men's soccer and women's soccer is close to equal, where we see a lot of that equal pay. But it is so disparagingly different in PGA and LPGA. It's um, it's embarrassing. So I, I just don't think that we've we haven't really connected with a star since the times of, you know, Nancy Lopez, and then it moved into Annika Sorenstam. And then we had, um, we have the Corda sisters now, we had Lexi Thompson. You know, there's been some superstars that the, the world has really connected with. But if we don't promote them and, and make them fan favorites, people aren't going to watch. And if they don't have easy access to watch the tournaments and connect to the tournaments, um, it's just, it's not going to thrive. You know, it's really sad to see the uh, former, you know, Dinah Shore tournament in Palm Springs moved to Texas. And then when we, we watched the tournament in Texas, and I know Chevron is located there, it, we didn't see any spectators. And it was, it was sad. It was sad. So I, I hope someone can do something. Yeah, I, I would just echo all of that. I mean, it's um, it's funny. Um, you, I, I'm guessing you probably know Brady Riggs, who's a good friend, and and his daughter Maddie, who's uh, you know a, a, a quite a good player and is teaching. And, and Brady and I talk about uh, the women's game a lot. In particular, I I I was very sad to see. I still like to call it the Dinah Shore. I know it's not called that anymore, obviously, but I was sad to see it leave. Palm Springs. I thought it had such a um, rich tradition there with Poppy's Pond and the like. And we've had Amy Alcott on the show and talked about that. And um, uh, obviously, as someone who I think won it three times, if I'm remembering right. Um, but um, yeah, I was sad to sort of see that. Um, and and I would also just echo. Uh, I, I think it was at the um, the KPMG Baltus Rawl where they had a ball store where they moved up the times. It was like, I was hunting to try to find it because I I'm, I'm watching on golf Twitter and seeing Rose, um, you know, light up the front nine and make a run. And I couldn't find it anywhere. Uh, so I, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's, I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, a maven and an expert on, on golf marketing, but I, I it's just, it's, it's, it's uh, puzzling to me why they don't do a better job. Cause I think the product, is really high quality. I just, I'm not sure why they're not able to promote it better than they do. Yeah. I think it really comes down to money and, and who's watching and I don't know. I mean, this might be a controversial statement, but I wonder what would happen if live golf stepped in and said, let's get the women's game (laughs) in a different place. That might be interesting to see. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because I've actually been surprised that hasn't happened. Um, Of course now with, whatever the collaboration is with the PGA. I'm not sure what Liv's future is, but I would have um, I would have suspected that that would have been low-hanging fruit for them because 
of the money disparities being, uh, or the lack of resources on the LPGA being so much more significant. So that would be, that would be interesting. Um, the, um, uh, just, uh, I'll get you out here on this. I just want to sort of end with the teaching stuff. I mean, someone who has taught for as long as you have, uh, and as well as you have, um, is there a particular common issue you see among the golfers you teach, or is, is there any particular thing you would tell people, you know, if, if you, I mean, obviously this is hard because you're not, everyone has a different swing, but I'm just curious if there's any kind of particular commonalities you see among the amateur golfers that you teach? Well, definitely slicing. I think that's what we see a lot in magazines and TV is slicing is one of the most common issues of ball flight and direction. And there's so many different causes of it, but it really boils down to a club face being open in relation to the path. And oftentimes people who are trying to muscle through the ball or power through the ball are using the sequence and the order of their body in the wrong way. So it allows for that club face to remain open or they underutilize their hands and wrists and forearms and undervalue the importance of that in delivering the club face very square. So most of the, I would say probably almost 70% of the issues that I deal with would be players struggling, uh, right-handed players struggling with more of a rightward ball flight. And I really help them understand spatially how their body needs to move, how they need to create torque and twist and the order that the certain segments would be unwinding. And then the most important part, the thing hitting the ball is that club face, what that needs to be looking like at impact in order to send the ball in a more straight fashion. Yeah, no, that's all. That's that's terrific advice. Um, hey, Alice, I want to thank you. I know how busy you are, um, and thank you for taking time out. And uh, if folks want to pursue you, um, I, I I know you have your own website, right? That uh, they can look at if they want to sign up with you. Absolutely. If they'd like to visit AllisonKurtGolf.com, you'll see a whole hub of instructional content, information about me, wanting to book a lesson. I teach out at Wood Ranch Golf Club in Simi Valley. And so non-members are welcome to come out and take a lesson. And also I have a pretty good social media following. So anyone who's on Instagram, just look up Allison Kurt Golf. And I'm always putting up free, free tips and thoughts on how to play better golf. Fantastic, Allison. Thanks so much for your time. And and again, you know, you're already in the SCPGA Teacher Hall of Fame, but continued success um, and uh, really appreciate your time. You're welcome. Have a good one. Okay, thank you.